So we're looking at this idea of uh, Christmas carols and how they, they teach and preach the gospel and remind us of things about the good news of Jesus. And so this week we are, as Curly mentions, we're, we're looking at O Come All Ye Faithful. And uh, you know what I did? Because I don't. I had that clicker thing at some point in my life. And I remember putting it in my pocket. You know, a preacher without a clicker, he can't do anything. I don't know what I, where I put that thing. Anybody seen the silver clicker? Well, that good night. How does a man not notice something that big in his pocket? Mm, we're going to have to pray again. You know we've got to start all over. Well, I wonder what else is in there. <laughs> like Mary Poppins' bag, hat rack, and everything else. We'll just pull it all out of there. Santa Claus pants. The cleaners gave me the wrong ones. All right. <laughs> Where are we? Oh, come all ye faithful. That's where we are. Uh, so we're, we're, we're looking at these songs, how they remind us about the gospel and all of the good things that Jesus does. And, and I mentioned last week, we like this kind of thing because, the reason we like these songs is because there are a lot of things that remind us about hardships in life. There are a lot of things, circumstances alone, remind us of those things. But what we need a lot of times is to be pointed back to Jesus. You know, Hebrews 11 says, or 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's He's what it's all about. And this kind of focuses, focuses us back. Uh, while it's probably not at all the right date for the time of Jesus' birth, it's just kind of a traditional time to celebrate. You know, technically, it was another time of the year, most likely. Uh, that's not the important part. I think for us, what's, uh, what's helpful about this kind of retuning and refocusing at the end of every year is it gets our mind right back where it ought to be as we start a new one. And I think it's very helpful that way. But it's also just encouraging. And we, we love it because it also gives us an opportunity to share the gospel with people that sometimes are not nearly as open to talk about Jesus, but, but this time of year they, they kind of open up a little bit. And Jesus told us to be shrewd as serpents and gentle as doves. Take the opportunities when you got them. And Paul said, make the most of every opportunity. Here is one of ours. And so we also appreciate that, that God sometimes gives us a chance to share the gospel with people we might not other have, otherwise have. So uh, this particular song, let's look at, that's what I was about to do with my thumb earlier. Let's look a little bit of the, the background. I forgot to click that one. This song, they, they think they pretty much know who wrote it. Uh, over time, there's been a little bit of back and forth over, did it come from here, did it come from there? They narrowed it down to three people that had the, we know had the greatest influence on the lyrics of the song as we know it. And it's kind of interesting. The, there's a, the oldest possible origin of the song is that it was possibly written by King John IV of Portugal. He was known as the music king or the singing king. He wrote a lot of hymns, actually, some of which are still sung in the Latin in the Catholic Church. Uh, for example, this is uh, Adeste Fidelis is O Come All Ye Faithful. He also wrote one about the cross of faith, and that one's still sung, and I think, actually, to music from back then. 
Uh, so that one is a clearer record and a timeline and, and copies and things like that than there is of this one. But they think that's probably where it came from. We know that it resurfaced in the mid-1700s. During the French Revolution, there was a Catholic university in, in France. And during the French Revolution, uh, they decided that because of all of the mixing of, of uh, the Catholic Church and government, and we know how all that if you took world history, and most of you are old enough to have, to have had it. I wasn't going to say you were there. I was being nice. Uh, so, there was a couple of you getting nervous about what I was going to say. No, nope, didn't say it. But the, <laughs> the, the, the French Revolution was not just about casting off kings. It was also about casting off faith. And if you look at the fruit of the French Revolution, it may have done that more effectively than it even ran off powerful governments. And after the French Revolution, as they were establishing their government, they actually set up for a little while as the official state religion, human secularism. Did you know that? Did you know they actually took an old Catholic church and went up to the altar, which we would consider just the Lord's Supper table, and it didn't say, this do in remembrance of me. They took that down and they set it up as an altar to human logic and reasoning because that was going to be the highest religion. They used that word, the highest religion in French society. Long story short, then there was the Jacobite Rebellion. That was where everybody who was named Jacob rebelled, I think. I don't know. I don't know French history. But they, no, they had the Jacobite Rebellion. And, and that was a, a resistance against the secularizing of French society and a standing up for for faith in Christianity, and they were booted out. And, ca and univer whole universities were shut down and exiled. And one university actually moved itself to England, where it found at least a little bit friendlier uh, place to be, although there's a lot of back-and-forth bad history there, too. But they moved there, and that's where you come across the guy that's up on your list called John Wade, John Francis Wade of England in the 1700s. He's got this archive of music. That's what he was. He was a music teacher in this university. He has all this archives of old uh, Latin church music. And they think either he wrote it himself and it didn't really come from King John or he found the old song by King John of Portugal. That's where there's some debate. He finds that, sets it to music and teaches it. And, and so the song was then revived, and it became, an, again, a traditional song to be sung around Christmas time. Well, then, in the 1800s, Fred, Frederick Oakley, another English guy, he comes across that song, and it wasn't as hard because it was more popular by then, and said, you know, in England we speak English. So he was a Texan. The, You're going to speak my English. That's kind of a funny thing if you think about it. But the... Uh, he, he comes up and says, we ought to have this in English. Then we can sing it in the English churches because we don't sing Latin and all those kinds of things. And so we have our song. Protestants cleansed it of a couple of verses, and we're actually going to look at a couple of those, and that's why I had the U version because if you have that, it's in there. But before we do, let's go over to Luke chapter 2. We'll dive into the song a little bit more in a minute. It's all set from the point of view of like one of the shepherds. Okay, The song is, is sung as if you were one of those shepherds there on the hill after you've gotten the message that Jesus is born. So let's read. Uh, if you're following on up there, I'm only going to start in 13, but I'm going to go back up to verse 8. 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So an exciting night. It's, it's one of those scenes that's one of our favorite scenes of what happens in all that surrounding the birth of Jesus because we can kind of relate, can't we? Uh, I, when you see pictures of Israel, a lot of it looks like different parts of Texas, I think. And you, you, we can picture ourselves out on a hill with the sheep and uh, some of you goats. We had cattle, so that's a little bit... We, we only heard the cattle lowing. That's what we got. But... You, you can kind of picture yourself out there on a starry night, clear skies, like last night would have been, and you, you picture that, and we can relate. What's harder to relate to is the excitement of what happens, because I don't know about you, but I have never had an angel just ping right there in front of me like that while I'm out there. It's pretty creepy. I did have the other day something growling from within the bushes. A few weeks ago, I was out there cleaning it. I was field dressing a buck, and... and, and I heard the from the bushes. And I said, mm, I don't know about that, but it was not an angel. I don't think they show up like that. That's something else entirely. And what they had was, so I, you know what I did? I, st- I, I started making a whole lot of noise and turning on every light on my truck. Remote start. That's handy. So, whatever. The, uh, they're out there. They, they see this incredible thing of an angel who has a message for them telling them to go to Bethlehem. And if that's not exciting enough, all of a sudden he brings his backup choir. <laughs> then there, there they are. And they start singing. I don't know how that works. Like they zoom in. Do they just, there they were? I have no idea. But it had to be absolutely incredible. Maybe a little bit frightening, I would think, at first, just as you adjusted to wrap, try to wrap your mind around what's happening. And then they do at the end what, what you would think you would do. Hey, we ought to go check that out. You think that's how they said that? Probably a little bit more breathless and excited. But they say, hey, I think we need to go check this out. And so they do. And how do you think that would have been? I don't know which would be more exciting. To have been able to have been in that field, to have seen the angel, to have heard them sing glory to God in the highest, or as you approach Bethlehem and you're asking around, you find them in this manger and basically you know in this little barn and to find that it's real you know the moment that they actually see jesus there with his mother and father everything that they had heard about in the field is real 
There's no more debate about hallucination. There's no debate about, wow, what mushrooms did you pick and put in that stew? There's none of that. Because here is the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, in the flesh. And so that, that, that's the moment that this song tries to capture of if you were one of those shepherds, what would you do? You'd be saying, hey, come on, you've got to see this. And they did. And it says that everybody else was just in wonder of what they had said and what they reported and of what they saw. And, and probably a whole lot more questions than answers in that moment. But they were excited about, wow, that is crazy. Who is this kid? What's going on? You said, they, you said they told you he was who? Son of God? Is that even possible? And it, you know, spent the next several years, 30-something years plus, trying to wrap their minds around that moment and yet seeing it constantly confirmed in the life of Jesus and in His ministry again years later. I want to look at this. The song starts with... You know, this idea of come, and the people that the song invites says, Come, all ye faithful, ye joyful, and ye triumphant. And that is what we are, but we'll get to that here in a second. And who did God call? I want to kind of look at a contrast here. And I don't, I'm not picking on the song because I think the song is trying to teach us something that, that we're going to get here in a second. We'll say that for the end. But who, who did God call? when it was time to introduce His Son to the world, to show Emmanuel, God with us, to people. And the first people He chooses are just humble people, hard-working shepherds out in the field. In their society, they weren't considered to be all that much. They were necessary, but they probably weren't all that much appreciated. And they were kind of... As it says, they were on the low end of the totem pole. Maybe more so by the Romans, seen that way by the Roman occupiers, than by, uh, by the Jews themselves. But that's, that's what they were. And yet that's who God chose. Do you think that was on purpose? I do. And I don't, I don't know that it's just because of their occupation. Do you think it might be because of what God had already seen in these men's hearts, what he'd already seen in their life, that they may not have been the big Pharisee with the flowing robe in the big house and, and the prominent position, but that they were men who believed. They were men that would accept that if an angel shows up and says, hey, God's doing something tonight, think you want to see this. These were the kind of men that accepted that by faith and would go. Position didn't matter, did it? Uh, he called all kinds of people. Later, anywhere from months to a year and a half, some even speculate could have been two years old by the time the wise men got there. They traveled from a long way away, and they didn't have any Boeing 787 Dreamliners to get onto. So it took them a while that the wise men show up. And there's speculation. Were these just wise men? Were they royalty? These were, these were prominent men, whatever their position, wherever they were from in the east. These were prominent men. That's, that's partly shown by the extravagance of their gifts. Shepherds couldn't have brought frankincense and myrrh and gold. But these men did. So did God just call shepherds? Did He just call the prominent? No, but He did call them both, didn't He? What was the message of the angels? It will be good news for all the people. 
And when God called people to witness this moment and to witness Jesus come in the flesh, He called all people and from every, every part of social strata and everything else, He called them all to come and see. He to this day calls all to come. I want you to see my son. I want you to see God in the flesh. I want you to see what love looks like when it puts skin on. Come and see this. And there's no boundary to who gets to come and no, no worry over who they are. I think that's what we're supposed to learn. You look at who Jesus called and you, you, you start to see that reinforced. As Jesus, 30 years later, when Jesus begins his ministry, he calls people too. I want you to come. I want you to see what God is doing in the world. I want you to be a part of the kingdom of God, which is what God's doing in the world. That's what that's all about. I want you to see God reign. And when he invited people, he, he made it perfectly clear, just as God had at the very beginning, this is for everybody. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't even matter what you've been doing. I want you in my house. I want you in my kingdom. I want you to be my restored children, forgiven, set free, and renewed. And so he calls tax collectors and sinners and outcasts and lepers, but he also calls uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law and rabbis and, and, and leaders. Paul would speak in Caesar's own household, and some of those people would be converted. Incredible that you would have a king that comes and establishes his kingdom and reveals his kingdom and actually says it's for everybody. Because there is no kingdom on earth that has been able to accomplish that. Ours has tried, but all you've got to do is look around and realize that ours on many levels and points, no matter who's in charge, fails. They just fail differently based on the letter, right? Each one ignores a certain set. Each one exalts a certain set. Jesus called everybody. And he made that known by actually showing up in everybody's house. He even went to Simon's house. And Simon didn't even like him. But he was trying to call Simon. He was trying to get him to see, hey, the kingdom of God really is for you. It's going to mean some changes in the way you see some of these other people that the kingdom is also for. But he was trying to call them all. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11. and Verse 8 is what's up on there. We're going to read a little bit more than that. <clears throat> Or excuse me, verse 28 is what's on there. I'm going to start in verse 25. He says here, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Let me give you some context of why he says it that way. He's just been arguing back and forth with teachers of the law, scribes, and Pharisees. And they were stubborn as mules. And part of the reason they were so stubborn is that they thought they were too smart for this rabbi who had come, this young man who's up there talking about how he's establishing the kingdom of God and claiming to be the son of God. And they're saying, oh, come on. We know you came from Nazareth. We know you were born in Bethlehem. You're just a hick kid from a hick town, because that is how they saw them. You're a hick kid from a hick town. You've got nothing to offer us. He says, and that's why God came to the humble, to the children. People with childlike hearts is what he's talking about. People who are ready to see. It's why he went to the shepherd. It's why he went to those wise men who, even though they were wise and prominent, also still maintained an open mind and an open heart 
to what God was doing in the world. Childlike hearts. He says that's why he's come to the children. Verse 26. Yes, Father, for yours or for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. So who does Jesus come for? You notice how He keeps using this word, all? You think God's trying to get us to see something? Come to me, all who labor. How many of you work? You don't have to raise your hands. How many of you work? How many of you are burdened? You've got some cargo. My my Russian interpreter the first the first time the first few months that we were the first few weeks that we were there, he was he was his English was far superior to any of our Russian. That's for sure. Uh, but he was still learning. He was a college age student guy, and uh, I remember one day he had we could always tell whenever he had learned something kind of from experience in translating for us versus when he had learned something from a dictionary. And I'm sure that's true for native speakers listening to any of us who are trying to learn another language. He came to us and he said, we asked him how he was doing. Dima, how are you doing? Because he looked like he was worried about something. He goes, oh, I am so cargoed. James Kennard, he was talking to James Kennard and I. We just looked at each other and grinned. So funny because we... Honestly, we were thinking that must be what we sound like most of the time, you know, trying to speak Russian from a dictionary. And he said, I'm so cargoed. And he said, cargoed? Do you mean like burden? Do you mean, you know, you're, you're heavy-hearted, weighed down? He goes, yes, yes, that's it. That's I, I'm, I'm, I'm cargoed. I'm burdened. And so it always stuck in my mind. It was a funny moment. But this is who he, what he says. Isn't that all of us? It should be. That might sound odd. Why, why do we all need to be burdened? Because it means your heart's still pumping and you're still breathing. You're still human. You still take seriously the weight of the things that go on in your life. You know, some burdens are burdens because you care. And, and you should. And it's going to get to you. And that's just part of life. But it means you're alive, but you don't have to carry that alone, do you? In fact, Galatians, Paul says in chapter 6, in verse around 9, he says that that is how we fulfill the law of Christ. It says, bear one another's burdens, for in doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ. Well, I thought we fulfilled the law of Christ by getting our card punched on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, singing the right songs and the right number of prayers. Nope. He never wrote that. Isn't that funny? He did say, when you love each other enough to lift each other's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. He says, you want to come into my kingdom. You want to come into my world. I want people that know burden. I want people that know work. And if you're tired, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Does that sound good to you? It does to me. My alarm didn't go off this morning. Man, I was sleeping good. Until I had a dream that Tanya said, James, you're already supposed to be up again. And then her alarm went off. And then her real alarm went off. <laughs> and it really was. My, for some reason, my alarm for this morning said I still had 18 hours to go. Y'all almost got a break, didn't you? So, verse 27, or no, no, let's go down to 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What a promise that he can actually say, listen, if you will come 
and live with me and follow me. Yeah, I got some things for you to do, but you're going to find they actually lighten your load instead of increase it. You're going to find joy in these things. You're going to find a love of these things that's going to make you glad that you followed Jesus. The uh, other passage there, let's look over at Matthew chapter 9. Is that right? Yes, Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to go back up to verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, because that's the kind of people Jesus called. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I mean, before I go further... Jesus isn't calling the Pharisees well. He's speaking to their perception of themselves. He's, it, there's a little bit of sarcasm here. Not everybody likes sarcasm, but Jesus every now and then was. He's saying, well, you know, I know that you're well, but these people, they need a doctor. Yet the only reason he had to say that was because of their sickness and what they couldn't see. So it's, it's kind of an interesting there's, there's more twists there in what Jesus is saying than we might, might give credit. Go and learn what this means. And that's where he tells them, so you go figure out what I just said. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. As Isaiah tells us, none of us are righteous. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags before the Lord. That's what Isaiah said. So when he, again, when he says to them, you know, he didn't come to call the righteous. There's almost an implied, the self-righteous. And that's not that Jesus doesn't call them to repentance and to faith and to joy. It's that he knows our stubborn nature. And until we lay that down, we're not ready. We're not able. It's like a camel through the eye of a needle trying to get into the kingdom of God. When we try to carry all the cargo and the burden of our pride, it just doesn't work. Who did Jesus call? Ultimately, everybody. Because even then, when he's telling them that they don't need a doctor, he does it to try and get them to see that they really do. He is using the tax collector and the sinner as a way of showing them, listen, if you would just see yourself the way they see themselves, humbled, burdened, and in need of a Savior and the forgiveness of God, you could come too. As long as you don't see yourself that way, you're not going to be able to fit in the door. Your head's too big. But if you see yourself this way, you're welcome too. And that's what he's, he's trying to get across to them. Now I'm going to go back to this first line of the song. <clears throat> it says, Come, uh, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. I like it because it has an enthusiastic thing, isn't it? Because that's really what we are, but we didn't get there on our own. Just as those people that were tax collectors and sinners at that table didn't get there on their own. They came before they were joyful. They came before they were triumphant. And they came before they were faithful. They came while they were still sinners. Jesus came while what? What's Paul saying in Romans? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's where we've been. And that's when He called us, isn't it? The song is writing from the perspective 
of people who have already encountered Jesus. Come encounter Him again. Come and renew your understanding of Jesus. Come and see Him again for who He is. Remember that He came in the flesh. Remember that God humbled Himself, emptied Himself, and came in the form of a man, even a servant, even one that would die on the cross, Philippians 2 says. It says, remember Jesus who came and lived and loved and died for you. Remember that. Because when you remember that, you come faithful. You come joyful. You come triumphant. Because it, it puts lift in your step. And you're able to see yourself not as the world sees you. Not as you see yourself in the mirror as somebody who's only labored and, and weighed down. But somebody who is forgiven and set free. And who has a life with God in eternity. And it helps us to see ourselves differently because of the eyes of Jesus. And when we see Him there, when we encounter God in the flesh, we're changed. We're transformed. We never see ourselves the same again. Thank goodness. Thank God. Because we're not the same. And then the song goes to what the natural response would be, doesn't it? Come, let us adore Him. Now, I mentioned there was a line that's missing. And if you're following on you version, I put it way up at the front. There was a little hidden Easter egg, we call them in software, in, in the U version. And that's an extra stanza that we did not sing because it's not in most hymnals anymore. And it goes back to that revolution and it goes back to the Protestant Reformation where people said, oh, that sounds a little bit too Catholic for me. And so they got rid of some lines. But the problem is this line... What they mean by that sounds too Catholic is it's basically a quote of the Nicene Creed. That's a creed that was written by a council in 325 A.D. at Nicaea. That's probably all the history you want. I know some of you, that's what you're thinking. But this was a statement of what Christians at the time believed. It was meant to be a unifying, not a dividing piece of information. And all it was was if we were going to be able to say the gospel and, and recite what we believe, what would that be? And that's all it was meant to be, but it became more than that. And, it became, you know, law of unintended consequences, uh, what was meant to unite ended up dividing, and that's a shame. But mo probably about 99% of what's in that document we agree with, but we agree with from Scripture, and it agrees with Scripture. One of the lines that was in the song was this, True God of true God. The true God of true God, light from light eternal, lo, He shuns not the virgin's womb. Son of the Father, begotten, not created, oh, come, let us adore Him. And that's the way it went. And that is an almost a direct quote from that creed, which is still actually recited in a lot of Christian churches of all different types. To this day, my favorite version is Russian, by the way. The, it sounds good in Russian because they're a cappella and they belt that thing. They got nothing but basses when they sing it. It's awesome. So anyway, like manly creed, that one. So this, this statement comes straight out of that, and this was declared by Christians for hundreds and hundreds of years, that the baby in the manger was true God, from true God. He held the very nature of God. Jesus says that in John chapter 5. Light from true light. John says that in 1 John chapter 1. 
He shuns not the virgin's womb. Luke 1 and Luke 2. That God inhabited the womb of Mary. Is that humbling? For the Creator to spend nine months in the womb of the created? And then says, but He was not created. Begotten. His only begotten Son, John 3.16. But not created. Because He is God eternal who was, who is, and who will be forever. It's kind of a shame we don't sing that line anymore, isn't it? Because this is really the nature of Christ. And when we get the nature of Christ right, we become adorers. We become singers, praisers, worshipers of God and of Christ. And when we do that, we become faithful, joyful, triumphant. Today is the day that you need to come to Christ. We give you that invitation today. Come. All ye faithful, ye joyful, ye triumphant. Let's adore Him. Let's praise Him. Let's serve Him. Let's put Him on. Put Christ on in baptism. Let's let His Spirit live within us. And let's go be Jesus to the world around us. Let's make that commitment this morning as we stand and as we sing.